0: Okay.
1: Here we go. All right, here we go. Welcome back to another episode of Waking Up with Wandy, hosted by the Stock Showdown. I, your host, Wandy, here on a wonderful Thursday afternoon, March the 3rd, 2022, here in beautiful Sparta, New Jersey. My guest, however, on the complete opposite coast, uh, hailing from Reno, Nevada, we have Chandler Walker here with here with us this afternoon. Very excited to have Chandler. A little bit of background on Chandler. Uh, Chandler, you know, his entrepreneurial journey started after he graduated over there on the other side of the, of the country from the University of Nevada uh, with a degree in biochemistry. And he was forging his way to a, a pathway down the medical field to pursue a brick and mortar wellness facility. Um, Due to the you know COVID uh, stuff that happened over two years ago, or about two years ago, I think we're we're right about two years uh, two years out now. Uh, he kind of pivoted, and um, that's the, kind of why why we have Chandler Walker on the show today is to kind of find out his journey on how he was able to pivot from something that he was passionate about pursuing. Uh, probably for many years and, and and spending a lot of resources uh, whether that be time and money uh, to pursue one thing and kind of pivoted because of um, you know because of the lockdowns and because of COVID and we're really excited to hear how this journey has unfolded for Chandler so without further ado everybody thank you Chandler Walker for joining us on the show I'll give you a round of applause Chandler
0: yeah let's go this is exciting happy to be here hopefully we can give everybody some value and some exciting stuff and some tidbits that they walk away with and at the end of the day they're like wow chandler's a cool dude i could trust this guy and and we can take over the world together on this little segment
1: all right so let's dive right into it chandler again love the energy i i, I bring it as well so i think we complement each other well here so um you graduated from uh university of Nevada. um for, for, forgive me. I think what's his face went there. um That guy, Kaepernick, Colin oh, Kaepernick. Ka- yeah, he's a he's a former. Uh, hold on, hold on. Wolf Pack. Is it the Nevada Wolf Pack?
0: Yep, the Wolf Pack.
1: Oh, geez Now, now it all makes sense with Alan from The Hangover when he's saying that he's got a you know one man Wolf Pack. It all makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Oh my God! <laughs> Never realized it until this very moment. I mean, forgive my ignorance, I guess, but now it makes sense. The Nevada Wolf Pack over there. So um, how did the journey start for you?
0: Yeah, so growing up, I had a, a mom who suffered from bipolar disorder. And so there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And as a kid, I kind of had to learn how to communicate with her in sort of a neutral way. So instead of getting upset with her, I had to recognize that there was a disease present, which we didn't know about, and had to learn how to ask questions, how to walk her off the cliff, how to help her out. And ultimately, this led me to be, to sort of want to find a way to dive deeper into solving problems in, in mental health and the medical world because she didn't actually figure out anything was going on with her until my 20s when I was in college. Uh, because back then mental health was like, if you talked about it, you were stupid. You, know, you just had to put a smile on your face and pretend like nothing was wrong. And so I, I just just didn't like the way the world treated the mental health issues that we have, that we still have today that are getting worse. Oh, right. And so that led me into a world of going to college and university for biochemistry. I was pretty good at negotiating with my advisors after growing up and being able to negotiate and work with my mom. So I negotiated my way from a biology degree to a biochemistry to combining biochemistry with immunology and combining that with sort of microbiology. And essentially I had my create your own adventure in college and so uh, a little tidbit to, to kids listening to this you can create your own adventure and the key to doing that is communication if you can communicate and not get angry and, and really come to an agreement with people you'll get whatever you want and i think that's one of the keys to really being successful but so what i did was i i got through the the medical school pathway and i, I was precepting at university medical center down in vegas and I felt like all i was doing was sitting there giving medication for a living and the reason i got into the medical field wasn't necessarily to give medication for a living. And this isn't a shot at doctors, it's the system. You can't tell someone to eat an apple or you're going to get sued for malpractice because that apple didn't make them feel better instantly. Uh, And so I just felt like at that point, I had to shift. I I just couldn't do this because this isn't what I got in the game for. So I pivot shifted and I adjusted and I moved into opening up a brick and mortar where we helped people in mental health, social health, sleep, nutrition, fitness, and habits. So we were able to help people in a holistic way and exactly the way I wanted to actually help them and, and create change in the world.
1: Now, you know, I, I think you can attest to this, um, that, uh, over the last two years, have you seen an influx, um, of customers who, you know, have, have placed an emphasis more on mental health than ever before? Have you, have you noticed an influx or has it been pretty stable, uh, throughout?
0: Yeah, so when we pivot shifted and we were able to move the brand online just before like six months before COVID, and so now I, I'm going to tell everybody that I predicted COVID. That's why I sold and moved my business and we we adjusted, which is not true, but it sounds cool. But then we pivot shifted and adjusted and moved into the online realm during COVID. And we grew by like 1800% because we were already working on solving the mental health issues that we're facing. The people were already inundated with, but now they were stuck at home and they didn't have other humans to communicate with. And the idea of not seeing humans was not so magical in, in this world. So we we grew a lot in that realm. And then now fast forward to today, where we have this this explosion of mental health related issues. The system can't handle it. Uh, It takes eight weeks on average to see a, a psychiatrist, if you can even get in to see one, or a psychologist. Uh, and so there's, we don't have the capabilities to handle the problems that we're seeing today. So on our side, in our private sector program, we're seeing people come to us all the time. They want to get past emotional eating patterns. They want to get past the thought of looking in the mirror and hating who they see. They want to get past so many different issues that they haven't been able to solve because they just, there's no one there that can help them.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's... We, we have the benefit, uh, the, the school I work at, it's a it's a technical school and there is a specific entity that works not with the school. Well, they work with the students of the school, but they're on their own grant. And it's um, it's it's all sort of mental health clinicians uh, that, are, again, are, are under this grant. And I, I can't emphasize enough the the benefit of having I think there's, mm, I'm going to say four to five full-time mental health clinicians on staff at my school, which, you know, maybe again, pre-COVID, maybe not necessary, but ever since COVID, oh my, explosion of, of, of kids in, in need of that because they the, the social interaction that they were lacking for two years has placed such a, you know, did such a, a blow to everybody, it feels like.
0: Yeah, exactly. It kind of flipped everything upside down and just magnified the problem and, and just created this implosion and this internal implosion that we don't know how to solve just yet. And so it's really good to see schools and a lot of programs putting mental health pieces into their their programs and into their practices and into what they're doing, because then it takes the stress off like the overall system and, and sell solve problems as they present themselves internally.
1: So now going back to, you know, your, your, your college education and the, the way that you were able to basically create your, your path, it, it seems rather unconventional again, correct me if I'm wrong. The way that you were taking classes to kind of, again, mold it into what you really wanted to do. And you place an emphasis on strong communication with those professors and um, not, a, again, being deterred by by any sort of negativity that you, you basically took no for an answer. It did not take no for an answer. You kept pursuing to, to get it into a way that fit what you wanted to do, which... Kudos to you. It sounds like you're one hell of a salesman.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's the key growing up. Like in school, people always told me you have to do this one thing. You can't change your mind. You can't adjust. If you ask questions, you're, you're dumb or something like that. And so, but I never kind of fell into that. I, I guess I can attest back to the communication with my mom and being a good salesman that it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to pivot shift and it's okay to adjust because I didn't really recognize what I wanted to do till post-college when I was already in doing what I was supposed to be doing. And so I think one of the biggest things that you figure out is the better you can communicate. And in college, I saved all of my syllabuses, I saved every piece, every credit hour that I had and everything that defined what it was. So that way it was negotiation material to take two of my advisors to show them how it made sense with what I wanted to do and then pitch my case. It was almost like pitching uh, investors for a startup and they would always come out and be like, all right right. we're gonna let this one go and then it was like 87 credits later they're all let go and I'm able to do whatever I wanted essentially so it's like if you're if you're good at this if you can save your syllabuses save everything you do understand all the like save the course materials and then present it and show how it how it makes sense in conjunction with what you want to do and what you want to move it to they can't really say no because like on the other end they're not really in science they're not really that good at arguing they're not going to be able to rebut what you say. And so it's like, you can do exactly what you want to do. You just have to be strong enough in your ability to communicate how you want it to look.
1: So again, I, I deal with high school students and let's just say the art of negotiation, public speaking, um, the thought of rejection does not sit well with, uh, I'd say a good majority of high school students. Um, how do we overcome that? Um, how do we get students stronger at, at these negotiation skills, you know, salesmanship, um, negotiate, you know, like I said, negotiation. How do we develop our students' confidence to to be better at that? Any, any insight?
0: Yeah, I think it, it's it's culture because when you look at questions being asked in school, if you're wrong, you have that fear that your peers are going to like burn you at the stake. You have that fear that being wrong makes you stupid. You have that fear that, oh, if I'm wrong on this, then I look bad. And and so I think what we have to do is we have to flip that upside down and ask people to answer questions wrong, legitimately tell them to give us the wrong answers and then argue why that should be correct. Because that's a, that's a beautiful strategy because what happens they have to, they get comfortable answering questions wrong. They get comfortable just answering questions. Then they get comfortable arguing their point, which puts them in a really neat place because then they learn how to argue a point that might not even be correct and be confident enough to get people to believe it, which I guess could lead to manipulation, but at the same time gets people confident enough to actually speak and to actually say, okay, I could be wrong, but here's why I could be right.
1: That's I never heard that approach, but I kind of I think I might try to use that when I return back to school in in in, in three, three and a half weeks is give the wrong answer and then defend it as if it were right. Now, that speaks near and dear to me because I'm also, well, currently the debate team coach at, at my school, and I've been doing that for the last 10 years. So I love a good debate. And, you know, I tell my students, look, the topic that we debate, you might not necessarily agree with it, but you can debate the other side, or you could debate for something you don't necessarily agree with. Um, if you can debate both sides, that just makes you a stronger debater. So I, exactly. I appreciate the insight.
0: Yeah, it's huge. And and if you can learn to argue a point that's like and you give them something simple too. It's like, tell me why two plus two is seven and argue that point. And then all of a sudden, they create these these creative, constructive dialogues where they can argue a point that everybody thinks is incorrect, but then people start second-guessing and questioning themselves. And so now you've created these like high-class, high-level communicators who are going to go out in the world and argue their point and be able to do what I did in college and basically study whatever they want and still get credit I, for it towards a degree.
1: <laughs> wow. I think that might be the emphasis for the fourth quarter here. The marking period is negotiation <laughs> and selling because- all right. So one of my um, my uh, my juniors and seniors, they're in a virtual business. So it's a it's a fictitious business, but we, we treat it as if it were a real thing. Like there, there's actually sales. We document the sales. Uh, we, we run it through QuickBooks. Uh, people get paid, you know, for, for you know, for their time. Uh, so there's payroll, uh, all that. So again, it, it's, it's all the nuances of running a business. Um, in my absence, what I, what I tried to encourage my students to do is if we're not making sales, we're not making money. And if we're not making money, eventually we're going to go out of business. Now, I guess it's hard to fully grasp because it's all again, fictitious, Um, and your life does not actually depend on the success of the business. Your grade might, but your life, your your life will go on. Um, so what I challenged my students to do in my absence was make three outbound phone calls, sales calls, if you will. They don't actually have to generate a sale, but give me at least three outbound sales calls per week, per person. Now, if it, again, results into a sale, even better. But there's been a lot of resistance with making these outbound sales phone calls. And the calls that they have to make are to other fictitious businesses that are doing the exact same thing with different products and services. So there are high school kids as well. So all these high school kids have to do is pick up the phone and call one of their peers, wherever those peers might be, and pitch them on buying this fictitious product. But again, there's been a lot of resistance. What kind of advice can you give to me or to these kids to just pick up the phone and to quote Leonardo DiCaprio from Wolf of Wall Street, pick up the phone and start dialing.
0: So, yeah, that's a good question. And I think one of the things that you, you can do in this situation is instead right. of thinking about like, Oh, and usually the fear here is rejection. And it's the fear that I don't have the pitch. Right. And so right. what I say is it's not about the pitch. It's not about a canned statement. You just, you just pick up the phone. And when someone answers to say, Hey, can you help me real quick? And they'll say, Oh yeah. Yeah. With what? well, I just have this this thing that I help people do and and I don't know if you might be interested. You want to sound like sort of a bumbling idiot because then people will take you more seriously and you remove sales resistance. So the big thing that I think that these kids can think about is you don't have to be perfect on the phone. In fact, the less perfect you are and the more quote-unquote dumb you sound, the more likely it is you're going to make the sale because you're removing a wall of sales resistance on these fictitious businesses. So instead of thinking about I have to pick up the phone and do this pitch. Just pick up the phone and ask if you can help. If, say, hey, can, can you help help me real quick? And then that starts the conversation. You've already gotten deeper than most cold callers will ever get, which is like two or three seconds into the, the phone call. Uh, and, and so if you're afraid of this, just don't even, just drop the worry, drop the pitch, drop the memorization. Don't even worry about what the other person's going to say. Just pick the thing up and say, hey, can you help me real quick?
1: Just, yeah, make it conversational. Like I, you know, I've said to you before, uh, before we got on Chandler, and I've said to all my podcast guests is, uh, you know, some of my guests have said, all right, um, you know, are we going to edit this? No, this is not edited. This is strictly, this is raw data, raw footage. I'm not editing anything. I try to make this as conversational because I don't want to remove any of the authenticity that me and my guests, or my guests and I, excuse me, sorry English teachers, they're my guests and I (laughs) are putting for you the audience is I don't wanna remove any of that. I wanna be me, this is me, I'm putting myself out there. And if you don't like it, then turn the channel.
0: Exactly, and the other thing to think about too in these scenarios is if you're afraid to pick up the phone and if you're afraid to dial, and if you're afraid to talk to this fictitious human on the other end of the phone, (laughs) you're probably going to be afraid when something else hard presents itself. And you're probably going to continue living in fear. And if you live in fear, you never make decisions. If you never make decisions, you never take chances. If you never take chances, you never win. If you don't win, you always live in mediocrity. So you kind of have to ask yourself, am I comfortable living in mediocrity or do I actually want to be something? Oof.
1: Boom. That was, I can't. Oh man, I, I I don't want to end the podcast on it, but that was <laughs> unbelievable. I love what you just said there. Um, that was, I mean, everybody else, you know, everybody that's listening, boom, rewind and go back to like 18, 18 minutes right there or 1750. That was brilliant Chandler. Thank you very much. Um, we do not want to live in mediocrity. So bottom line, continue to push yourself, break down those boundaries, Get out of your comfort zone and take a chance, will you? So thank you for that, Chandler. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about, because it's a hot topic in my class. I'm sure it's a hot topic all over the place. Um, You've had some involvement, uh, I guess a side hustle or on the side, whatever you want to call it. Uh, You've been very involved in the crypto market
0: yeah exactly so back in 2016 i think maybe late 2016 just before the 2017 bull market blew off the top i was looking at ethereum and i was like oh you know this sounds cool it might be that's it might fail it might be this thing that doesn't work and i asked my partner she was like i have no idea you make the decision so i bought a bunch of ethereum at 15 dollars a coin and then i bought a bunch of litecoin at 15 dollars a coin and uh, turns out it was a really good decision. So that was another situation to where I was like, should I do it? I don't know. And my motto is, well, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. And I did it anyway. And now that the initial, the first purchase, I made several in 2016, but the first one was $250, which was getting my feet wet. And at the, in this market right now, that's been worth about 50K. So I've been able to amplify the amount that that's gone up by like 20,000% just by making that one decision. And I I think the biggest thing you have to think about with crypto is you have to remove the emotion from the investments. And so if, and I even, I have a three-year-old daughter. We bought her, she has like a Bitcoin or half a Bitcoin or something. And we just sit on it. But the big thing you have to think about is you, you, it's not chasing fast money. If you chase fast money, you get wrecked. People will buy it. They see it dumped. They, they sell out. They panic and they run away and they, they, their tears are red candles. So if you don't want your tears to be red candles, you just need <laughs> to buy. And this isn't financial advice. I'm not telling people what to do, but you need to buy and then... Never look at it again. And then in 10 years, you will be like, wow, that 100 bucks I put in every couple months has now turned into 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100K. And all of a sudden now you're, you're living the dream and you're winning. And the people who win in this market are the people who are in it for the long-term game. The people who lose are the people who try to day trade and people who try to like flip coins and just do all that stuff that doesn't really work. But it, it works really well if you want to get wrecked and if you want those red candles to be those tears.
1: So no red candle tears, ladies and gentlemen. So again, long term horizon, not, you know, not financial advice, but I'm I'm sure most financial advisors would tell you the same thing is play the long game. You know, you're going to see volatility in crypto. You're going to see volatility in real estate. You're going to see volatility in the market, the stock market. Um, But if you look at the long term historical averages, Over time, those have been asset classes that have generally outperformed um, most other asset classes. So you get again, have to be in it for the long term. And I think most financial advisors would probably tell you the same. Exactly. Um, Go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah. And then I think the other thing that I do in, in crypto is when I'm looking for a project now, I have a systems mindset. And so what I do is I look at where the problems are. And so like Ethereum, I originally bought. Now I look in January or earlier this year, I looked at what were the problems with Ethereum. And it was high gas fees. Nobody wants to pay $200 for a transaction. It was right. congestion. Nobody wants to have 74 failed transactions. And when you think at scale, nobody wants to buy a Mountain Dew and pay $80 for a transaction fee. It makes zero sense. So, <laughs> What I what I thought about was okay. Well, what solves this problem? And then early on this year, I I found Matic, and I was like, okay, well, Matic is it's got a really good team, it's got really good systems, it solves gas fees, it it sits on top of Ethereum, so it doesn't have to be this new thing that needs to come out. And so I bought a bunch of it at like ten cents, and Matic's peaked up at like I don't know, it was like three dollars or something. And then the next one I looked at, I was like, okay, well, what's the what's the big thing? And I started looking at okay, video games, video games are going to blow up, and then. So I looked at Mana, Decentraland back then, and I was like, oh, this is cool, it's a video game, it actually works. There's, like, almost no games or functioning projects. I was like, this one you can actually play. So then I bought a bunch of that at, like, 20 cents, and now that peaked up to, like, $4. And as soon as Facebook announced Meta, so I think one of the things that I look at, too, is what solves a problem that's a really big issue in the industry, and and what can we get in that can sort of actually totally solve this? And then when I do take profits in in crypto and when I do actually pull money out, I put it in something called Anchor Protocol, and it just gives me 20% interest every year on the money that sits there and just stays at a dollar.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, trying to find twenty percent in your general bank savings account—don't um, hold your breath on that. Even when the Fed says they're raising rates, twenty percent uh, is not going to happen unless, <laughs> unless inflation goes to, you know, you know, five thousand percent, which you know, <laughs> this ain't Zimbabwe. Yeah. So, um, again, good luck with trying to get twenty percent on your uh, bank savings account.
0: Exactly. Unless you're um, in, like, the Russian ruble right now. Then you've oh got God. 20% interest rates exactly. and you're collapsing. So, and, and I'm not telling anyone to buy the dip on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, spe- you know, I guess that's a good segue. What, um, what do you think um, crypto's role, or is there a role right now that's, that's kind of unfolding as this turmoil in, in Russia and Ukraine is unfolding? As, like you just said, the ruble... The Russian ruble has plummeted, um, and I believe uh, a couple days ago, I believe, was trading for a penny. The, the exchange rate was a penny to the dollar. So you're seeing significant depreciation there in the Russian ruble. Um, the, the stock market, I believe, in Russia has been closed, I believe, since the beginning of the week. Do you see, because of that, more of an influx of people, at least over there, uh, in in Russia and Ukraine, where that's taking place, that are gravitating more towards different cryptocurrencies and avoiding any sort of you know fiat uh, paper currency. Do you see anything like that?
0: Yeah, and I think the recent Bitcoin had a big price pump that went from right. I don't know thirty six k up to like forty five at the peak. And I think that was attributed to people in Russia moving into stable coins because the stable coin like U.S. dollar tether, U.S. dollar coin stays at a dollar. So they get exposure to the dollar. They get out of the Russian economy and they can sort of save their their wealth that they have as it collapses and crumbles. And I think the same thing in Ukraine. Their economy has been collapsing and crashing because of of the invasion. And so I think with both of these things happening, the people in both these countries are moving into stable coins and moving into it sounds like even Bitcoin in all of that to be able to hedge the massive loss that's happening because of these horrifying events. And so I think it's been a really big precipitating cycle to what we're seeing right now where Bitcoin's had a bit of a pump.
1: Wonderful, wonderful insight. Um, We're getting short on time, Chan. And again, this is how most of my podcasts go. And again, like I said it before, try to be authentic uh, as possible. And, you know, after great conversations with entrepreneurs of all walks of life, you know, we, we fast forward and here we are. We are we're 26 minutes in, and um, we appreciate your time here uh, this afternoon, Chandler. So, you know, to end our, our conversation, again, you gave us a wonderful insight from, from crypto to, you know, following your passion, being able to negotiate. Great insight. Any final parting words or piece of advice for my high school audience?
0: Yeah, my last piece of advice for everybody listening to this is always expect a no and always be prepared for a no and then always be okay with a no. Always be okay with failure. Always be okay with the idea that something might not work because the things that don't work allow you to learn and when you learn, you grow and when you grow, you get better. When you get better, you actually achieve mastery in what you're doing. So it's okay to get a no. It's okay to get rejected because that makes you better overall. And I know it's challenging in in the social environment that high school kids live in, but if you can learn to expect that and learn to embrace that when you get into the real world, when you get into the business world, when you get into college, you're going to be an unstoppable force because it's not about what you know. It's not about what you've learned. We only retain about 10% of what we learn. It's about what you can do in terms of how you can communicate with people. Your quality of your communication dictates the quality your life. So learn that now, master it, and you can create the future that you want. And you can literally do anything.
1: Beautifully, beautifully stated. So uh, again, valuable, invaluable insight uh, from Chandler Walker. It's been a pleasure having Chandler on the show. We're going to have to circle back and get Chandler back on the show. Um, That was wonderful, wonderful pieces of advice from Chandler Walker. So this is your host, Wendy, signing off with Chandler Walker. God bless.